Sabiric prova improvvisamente e trova un super gol undicesimo minuto cosa ha fatto Sabiri? una rete fantastica all'improvviso Hello and welcome back to another episode of Serie A Spotlight. This is season two, episode eight. We're your hosts, Matt and Jake, here to bring you everything you need to know about match day seven in Serie A. Feel free to follow us on Instagram to stay up to date with our podcast, guys. You can interact with some of our content, particularly our stories and our posts, um, Serie A Spotlight slips and all that. We're good on TikTok. You can follow us there too. It's at Serie A Spotlight. But you mentioned Serie A Spotlight slip, so I think it's. Uh Good idea to just get that out of the way because it's been a fucking nightmare. Yes, so we're far. we're cursed, bro. We control the destiny of those we gamble on. <laughs> um, this time, Juve were our our victims. We bet that they would beat Monza. Um, we added another one. I believe it was with Neza. No, no, it was it was the the Lecce game against uh, Salernitana under, under four goals. goals. And it that was 1.3. Well. It, was, yeah. it was it was very close, but it worked out well for us. Um, but yeah. We, You know. Monza get their first ever victory in Serie A against Juve and that's all because of Serie A spotlight. Literally, literally. So if, if you guys need some voodoo shit done for your exactly. team to win a game, just let us know. And Perhaps we should bet that Napoli would win next. <laughs> <laughs> literally. Um, so before we get into it, I just want to go through the scores uh, for any of you that are commuting or can't listen to the entire podcast. So Milan 1, Napoli 2 for the biggest match this weekend. Udinese beat Inter 3 goals to 1. Upsets only this week, by the way. Um, it was Roma 0, Atalanta 1. Monza 1, Juve 0. Cremonese 0, Lazio 4. Fiorentina 2, Verona 0. Torino 0, Sassuolo 1. Bologna nil, Empoli 1, Thiago Motta's first game in charge over there, Salernitana 1, Lecce 2, and Spezia 2, Sampdoria 1. So overall, a week full, full of upsets. We're looking at mm-hmm. over here, Udinese's victory, um, Monza's victory, there's Sassuolo's victory, Empoli's victory, Lecce's victory, Spezia's victory. These are all mental yeah they're so, all upsets literally yeah i think it's a dumb thing to start a betting segment this season <laughs> in Serie. but this is always the beginning of the season is always the hardest part to kind of um, yeah bet on um eventually teams will pick up momentum there'll be stretches in the season where the big teams really don't drop that many points Uh, that mm-hmm. comes towards the end of the season typically like yeah, last year you know you look January. at the stretch inter and milan barely lost yeah. towards the later part of the mm-hmm. Season last year, but anyway, uh, yeah. shall we get into Milan Napoli? Let's start off with this godforsaken game. <laughs> Go for it. So, a true spectacle of a game: Milan one, Napoli two. Now to get into a bit of history, recent history between these two sides, uh, Milan won their last league match against Napoli before this one after a run of two consecutive defeats. Yeah. Um, This would have been two wins in a row for Milan had they won in Serie A against Napoli for the first time since 2010-2011 under Allegri. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Milan have now actually lost three home games against Napoli in a row. Mm. Uh, the other two were both to a score of 1-0. And it's the first time since 1979 that Milan have suffered three consecutive home defeats against Jesus. Napoli in Serie Okay, and the, the second one was was absolute shit. I remember those Kessies disallowed goal for the for the offside of Giroud. Oh, yeah, exactly. Giroud was in an offside position. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 
He was on the floor. It was really weird. <laughs> Um, Milan's unbeaten streak has come to an end. They were unbeaten in their last 22 Serie A games with 15 victories and 7 draws. This was their longest unbeaten streak since a run of 27 games without defeat in January 2021. Um, as Rad- Radek Krunic said, we start again. There you go. Yeah. That's the mentality. He was That's interviewed the after the game and he was clearly miffed about the, the loss. But to be honest with you, bro, um, Good, I'm glad he's miffed. Yeah, but ending a 27 unbeaten streak against Napoli, against this Napoli side, isn't the worst thing in the world. No, it's kind of like the best case scenario of the worst case scenario. You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, if if there's a team you would almost not expect, but you would take a loss against the season so far, judging by Mm -hmm. their form and everything, it's Napoli. You know, Inter, it's a derby, and and you don't want to lose a derby. No, you don't want to lose a derby at all. Um, teams like Atalanta, it's it's almost expected to get something out of the game now. I think Napoli, even without Victor Osimhen, is still the team you can look at and say, all right, that's a that's almost a guaranteed points dropped for the time being. It's it's them and Udinese right now, funnily enough. Yeah, they're the two with the most momentum. They're the two hottest teams, of course. Yes, the the three teams right now in Italy on the best form would be Milan, Udinese, and Napoli, right? And Atalanta right now. And Lazio kind of as well are looking pretty good. But anyway, um, Salt Bay was at the game, bro. He he was supporting Napoli, I'd imagine. Um, I'm not sure he clarified he was supporting but yeah, he, had, uh, he had photos with everyone huh? yeah. from Napoli uh-huh. okay but he, you know what he did before the game he made a steak or something for someone he, no, no he <laughs> said he said that Napoli would win 2-1 fuck me he predicted the fucking score so it'll be he predicted the score. He's a fucking chef in Turkey. We're here with a say a podcast and we can't even win a bet. <laughs> and this guy is casually winning fucking outright fucking scores. Jesus. But anyway. So let's get into the lineups. Milan lined up with Manian in goal. Theo Hernandez on the left. Calabria on the right. With a centre-back pairing of Tomori and Kier. Stepping in for Kalulu. Uh, Tonali and Benasser in the double pivot. Krunic came in for the uh, suspended layout on the left. De Catalare in the middle. Salamakers on the right. And Giroud up front. I think you forgot to mention Teo Hernandez at left back, but it's kind of an obvious one. I, I said Teo Hernandez at left. But I don't know. I think you said Calabria and the centre back pairing. I don't know. Continue. Damn, bro, you gotta listen to me, man. <laughs> Meret in goal for Napoli, Di Lorenzo on the right, Mario Rui on the left, um, Ming Jay and Rahmani as a centre back duo. The three midfielders were Zelinski, Lobotka, and Anguissa, Gvarakshelia on the left, Politan on the right, and Raspadori up front. So, instinctively, bro, coming into this game, uh, there was a lot of. There were many comments being made online about um, Milan's lineup, yeah. about Kronich coming in instead mm-hmm. of Leao and Kier coming in instead of Kalulu. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts? I think Milan fielded a very physical eleven and, and, and maybe a more, not conservative, well, yes, a more, a more conservative eleven as well. I think Kier coming in for Kalulu brings more, more kind of balls to that mm. centre-back partnership and obviously the, the difference you see between Kalulu and Kier is that Kalulu is quicker and Kier is stronger. Kier is more experienced, um, you know, and then you look at Krunic, who is essentially a, a box-to-box midfielder being played out wide. So you could add some physicality on that side and maybe drift into the midfield and show some 
<clears throat> pardon me, and show some strength over there. And then Salah Mackers is the more conservative choice on the right-hand side, as we said before, way more conservative than Messias, who goes forward more. And then obviously there's the Catalare ahead of Brahim Diaz, giving more physicality over there. So all round, Milan fielded the most possible physical 11 that they could without starting Pobega pretty much. Okay, um, interesting points. I do agree. Um, I feel like Kier was selected over here because of his experience more than the physicality. Mm. I think you play Kalulu, someone who's still very young, you know, mm. um, and you put him up against this Gvarakshelia, you know, Politano, Raspadori. They're very mobile, these mm -hmm. guys. And he gets a yellow card early on, Kalulu. You know, yeah. that, could, that could ruin his yeah. game. That could totally distract him. You know, that could make him not commit. That could make him get a mm -hmm. red card. So Kier's experience over here, I think he always knew purely that he was uh, going to bring on Kalulu this game for Kier, but he started out with Kier. Aha, uh -huh, for sure. I, I don't even think Kier's got 90 minutes in him anymore. Probably not. Probably, probably, probably not. not. Um, off the bat, who do you think is a bigger loss? Is it Milan without Leao or is it Napoli without Ozyman? Coming into this game, who had it worse? Um, okay, so... I would say Napoli feel the loss of Ozyman more than Milan feel the loss of Leao. Okay. And simply because of how Milan played. Because at the end of the day, Milan totally dominated this game and were unlucky to, you know, yeah. to get yeah. nothing out of it, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, Napoli's offensive charge looks completely different without Ozyman. Um, Raspadori does not have the same characteristics and neither does Simeone. Um, Ozyman's a terrorist up front, yeah. as I've discussed before. Yeah. An absolute maniac. <laughs> but yeah, what do you think? Do you think it's Leao? No, no I, I, don't, I don't particularly think Milan were worse off without Leao. I think one thing you, you miss are two players that can change the game entirely just by being themselves. So you have Leao's dribbling, you have Ozyman's charge and finishing. Um, I think if I were to see Milan over 10 games without Leao and Napoli over 10 games without Ozyman, I think Milan would be better off than Napoli. I think so. And, and I think over the stretch of time, Milan can replace him with Rebic. Um, uh, probably only Rebic. Rebic is the only player that can play on the left unless it's Kronic. But ideally, Kronic would stick to that, that midfield role. And then when you look at Napoli, I mean... Raspadori and Simeone are both new they're both new they're, they're yeah. both good players they are both good players yeah. but yeah they need time they need they need time but they are to backed up this. very well by their teammates their teammates are very good at, at giving them mm -hmm. exactly what they need at playing to their characteristics but anyway I'm, I'm stalling from you getting into the game so. yeah no it's, it's perfectly fine let's get into the game yeah um, it was all tied in the first half, um, the thing that I think we should take away from the first half was Gvaratskelia, um, pretty much forcing yellow cards with every single foul he drew. He got yeah. Kier and Calabria were on yellows because of him. Um, and that went into halftime. 55th minute, Gvaratskelia forces a penalty as well. So that's three fouls, one, two yellows and one penalty. Um, so he, he didn't get on the score sheet, but he was, he was amazing this game. Um, Politano stepped up in the 55th minute and scored. This was um, given away, by the way, by Dest, 
who was brought on for Calabria in the second half. There was a double change by Pioli in the, uh, as the second half yeah. started. Kier um, and Calabria out, Dest and Kalulu in. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, so Napoli are winning 1-0. In the 69th minute, who else? Um, Oli G finally managed to connect one of Theo's low crosses from the byline and equalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the most difficult goal, but, you know, positionally, put himself in the correct position, made it yeah, easy man. for himself. Exactly. Theo, man, had so many of those low crosses from the byline. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm happy he managed to get to the end of it. And then in the 78th minute, Cholito got the ball outside the area and was pressed by three players. Um, unfortunately, none of these three players actually committed yeah. uh, aggressively enough. Um, he managed to play the ball out wide to Rui on the left and managed to slip between these three players. Um, Rui crossed the ball perfectly and Giovanni Simeone scored the header. It was so against the run of play at that point. It really that, was. Like Napoli didn't have a bad game by all means. They were fucking fantastic. Towards the end of the game, bro, Kalulu had a Thiago Silva-esque moment. I can't remember the game where Thiago Silva did this, but I remember mm. I remember him basically starting a charge from the back, just playing the ball and sprinting the full length of the pitch. Then mm. the ball was played to him again and he hit the crossbar. Mm. The exact same thing happened to Kalulu. The exact same it, thing. It, it, was, it was a brilliant piece of skill. Mm-hmm. I was... Very upset that he didn't put that into the back of the net, though. Yeah, I mean... Very upset. But di- did you expect him to, to do better? I mean, as a as a defender, you'd never expect them to do better. You just hope that they do better. But I mm. think Kalulu's been fine in front of goal. He's always been okay in front of goal. He's been composed, yeah. as we've seen for France and we've seen for Milan on a couple of occasions as well. It's, ah, sometimes maybe power it's the... Over there. I think it was mostly the Giroud touch that threw him off, man. I didn't think Giroud... I didn't think... I don't think he thought that Giroud mm. would get a touch on it. Mm. Uh, Could I be. I it threw him off. I mean, you'd have to be in the exact same situation as him to understand why he was thrown off and why he didn't hit the target over there. I'm sure there's there's, there's valid reason in his eyes. Um, but... Uh-huh. In those situations, you, you just hope it's a goal. What a game Meret had, man. It was amazing. Meret goal. was super. It was, it was Meret and Mario Rui for now. I think for me, it? the man of the match was Mario Rui. Mm, it's between Mario Rui and Meret. I think I'd give it to Meret personally. He had some, he had some fucking stunning saves, man. Particularly on, on Giroud. No, there was a one shot. My God. Um, an absolute spectacle, bro. Um, are these the two best teams in the league? Yes. Uh, at the moment, yes. And I, I'm reluctant to say that they are, in fact, the best teams in the league because they were the best teams in the league in the beginning of last season as well. And then Napoli kind of fell off for a while. And we see strong starts like this from Napoli where they look unbeatable. Yeah, You know what I mean? And then and then kind of we see a, a realer side to them Later come on, January. That's true. Uh, they, they were, this time last year, they were still undefeated. True. They had gone on like a mad streak of 10 games undefeated. They they tend to start well, Napoli, it's true. Yeah. Um, what's his name? De Laurentiis said that um, he had been saying for a while that this Napoli side that he built since the departures of Koulibaly, Fabian, Insignia, mm. Ospina was a competitive side, mm. but no one really believed him. Mm. And now he's saying like, look at me now, basically. <laughs> Without do you, those guys. Do you think that he actually knew that they were going to be this good? <laughs> I, I'd say so. I'd say so. Um, 
they must have been rubbing their hands at the sight of Guevara in training. Because these guys are these guys are great at bringing people in. These are the same guys that brought in Hamsik, that brought in Mertens, that that brought in all of these people. That brought the Levetsis mm-hmm. for crying out loud. Cavani, they, they've got an eye for talent. These it's these true. Napolitans, they and everyone's like ah, but they're they're replacing Insigne, the the club legend, the captain, the heart and soul of the team, with a guy from. Dinamo Batumi called Kvaratskelia, Kvitra Kvaratskelia. Everyone's like, oh my God, De out, De out. out and Min Jay in. Who the fuck is this Min Jay guy? <laughs> Fucking hell, two of their I'm best players. I'm telling you, bro, Min I haven't seen some... I haven't seen an Asian lift his leg like that since Bruce Lee, my friend. <laughs> Honestly... The way he cleared it from Brahim's header was insane. And then the scream right after. Wow, dude. Bro, that was intimate, like. Yeah. That was intimate. He's, he's, a, he's a great defender. He's man. really good. Why do you think Napoli won this game ahead of Milan? Because it was, it was tight. Do you think Milan had the better game overall? Because I've been seeing, at least my Milan fan friends have all been saying, ah, we dominated the game, though. Dominated. Do you think dominated... Is the fucking word, or do you think Milan were very competitive? I think Milan dominated the game, quite frankly. 22 shots to Napoli's nine. An edge on possession as well. Just even watching the game, Milan were in control of the tempo for the vast majority of the game, particularly in the first half. And mm. then right after Milan scored the first goal, their mm. first goal, yeah. um, Milan were trying to pop them like a massive pimple. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember you saying, you, you were like, wow. Shnelabu, which means like how we're playing, you know. Um, and Milan were playing really well up until that point. And then, you know, Napoli actually managed to stay composed and they got something out of it um, with a very good move by Simeone and Rui. Yeah, um, I couldn't help but notice when it comes to Milan a little bit of fatigue here and there, particularly from the main man, Oli G up front. Yes. Um, a few cramps coming up. Bear in mind, Milan did play midweek Champions League football. Last week before this match, winning the first actually um, uh, Champions League match at San Siro since like 2013 or some shit like that it was. And obviously Giroud had to play that game because Giroud is the only striker under Milan's roster thus far. And it just didn't seem like he was... He's always available to play the ball too. It's just he's not always in a situation to attack the ball. And that could do... that. Could have something to do with fatigue. I think this was one of his better games. Yeah, no, I think I think Giroud played well, but he was. You could see him pulling up. Of he course, he, he no, went down no. around twice with cramps. Yeah, um, which is never good to see. Whenever I see a thirty-five-year-old go down, I'm like, yeah. Madonna, they're, <laughs> they're done. Exactly, especially when his um, substitutes are. Origi, who I have no idea what's going on with him, flying to Belgium, then coming back, and now he's mm. available, but then boom, two days before the game, he's not available, mm. and then he's available for the next one, then he disappears again. Like uh-huh. Then he plays, and he's really selfish, and he's gone yeah. again, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's been a roller coaster with Origi so far. And Rebic, who apparently has the back of an 80-year-old former construction worker. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with these guys, man. Giroud has to fucking work overtime. And, and, he, and he's been doing brilliantly, like you said, Giroud. He's been he's been by far one of Milan's best players. Um, however, there's a point I want to compare Napoli to Milan in this sense. Napoli 
as a team, they play to each other's best capabilities. So if I know that you're quick, I'm going to knock the ball in front of you. But if I know that you're slow, I'm going to play the ball to your feet. If I know that you're good with a header, I'm going to cross it to you in the air. If I know you're good with the ball on the ground, I'm going to play it to you on the ground. Milan don't exactly do that when it comes to Giroud. Giroud, I always see him criticizing, not criticizing, giving his teammates a telling off, saying, give me the ball fucking here in front of me, head level. I want to get some momentum and smack that ball in. But it always seems like he needs to stay on the spot, jump up, try hang in the air and kind of try to head it goalwards or try to head it outwards. And it's like, the service is there, the players are there, but you just need to give it to him on a silver plate. That's what you get with Giroud. Yeah. Um, play the ball at his feet. I, I, I get it completely. Um, and to be honest with you, I do agree that there are way too many over-the-top balls. Not this game particularly, but we've seen it before. I know these long balls ahead to, to yeah. Giroud. That doesn't really make much sense. Um, like you play it to him directly for a knockdown, that's one thing. But trying to play him in behind, it doesn't make any sense. No, absolutely And yes, it's true. Napoli seem to have figured themselves out mm-hmm. really well, to be honest, considering the losses. But yeah. But yeah. Um, bro. Who was Milan's best player this game? Milan's best player this game? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, I quite liked Tonali. Okay. I thought Tonali was quite good. Um, For me, it was Benasser. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that's probably a better answer than mine. That's yeah, probably I better think Benasser is the metronome. And it, it, it was, it was a fantastic showcase of two fan, two super, super defensive midfielders on, on both ends. Ball-playing midfielders. It was Benasser dictating the play for Milan and Lobotka dictating yeah. the play for Napoli. It was a showcase. It was a, a masterpiece watching these two switch the play from end to end and really control the game, man. Honestly, it really was. Um, both very good players, probably the best um, kind of registers in the league right now. Yeah. Um, I have a note over here, bro. Cholito living his best life, no? Um, you could see him. So first he scored his uh, debut goal in the Champions League and kissed the Champions League tattoo that he got on his mm. uh, forearm when he was uh-huh. 13. He broke so. into mainstream media with that yeah. as well, man. The story got told everywhere. And then he scored the winner against Milan a few days later. Um, there was a video of him in the tunnel of Milan running with his I arms extended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I fucking hate He's it. just living his best life right now. You can't help but feel like you can keep bringing him off the bench and he's going to keep scoring, you know. Raspadori mm. and Cholito are both new for Napoli, but they, they've both hit the ground running so far. Um, uh-huh. Raspadori, not performance-wise, but goals-wise, certainly. Mm-hmm. It seems like Raspadori almost needs to readapt to his natural position after being played mm-hmm. out wide for so long as a secondary striker for so long for Sassuolo. He needs to stop being 14 years old, bro. He, he does need to stop being 14 years old. The man he needs some so, spinach. Yeah, he needs some well. spinach, literally. He's so small, dude. And I think this is the best way to utilize Cholito as well. As a substitute, bringing him on and getting important goals. We always criticized him for... Be, being being too, yeah, kind of ridden off of form and form only. We know the quality is there, but he doesn't always <laughs> have it 
pretty much. Um, so bringing him off the bench, giving him 25 minutes, like, okay, prove yourself, go, kind of thing. I think we could we could really see the best of him over yeah, there. Probably um, a top side, but not as the protagonist. Yeah. Eight goals conceded in the last seven games for Milan, which is probably more than Oof. that final stretch of the season last year. Uh, Milan are not the same defensively. Their stability is not as good, quite frankly, defensively. Um, what do you think is the cause of that? Um, I took Manian on Fanta Calcio because Milan got a lot of clean sheets. And again, we simply control the destiny of this team. Um, <laughs> there's nothing I can look at and pinpoint in saying this individual or this individual hasn't been as good as, as last year. It just seems like as a unit, as a unit, they're not performing as well as they were last year. And, and, it's, and it's down to many factors. I mean... But it's always these isolated instances, no? It's not like there's an overall lack of performance. You know, no, it's not, it's, not, it's not a lack of performance. It's, it's a lot of freak goals. Like the two goals against Udinese are kind of both out of nowhere. A set piece here and there. Um, a couple of goals at the near post that you don't really want to see. Um... Two penalties as well were conceded this year thus far, I believe. I think many of these goals, bro, go down to overly aggressive pressing in defense. Mm. Like you see Tomori and Kalulu typically, um, the way they press the guy on the ball, like, like if you both commit, like, like for example on Simeone's goal, you see three players yeah. pressing Simeone and no one gets the ball. If you go in, if you commit three men onto one player, you have to get the ball or you have to foul him. Yeah. You can't let him play the ball because look how much space there is around, you know? Yeah. You know, everyone's concentrated in that one area just outside the box. And I feel like that goal was, um, it, we've seen it before this season. Against Udinese, there was a similar one. No, no, like this overly mm -hmm. aggressive pressing at the back. And I feel like Milan sometimes this season are playing hastily. Mm. Too much, like it's the 85th minute from the get-go. Yeah, yes and no, because you know I, I, mean? I kind of like the the increased pressure in this Milan team. I, I like the, the bit of Gagan to the play. I'm not saying Milan play with the Gagan press, but there's a little bit of Gagan. They, they the, do play with the Gagan press. The, is that a fact? Like, of course, of course. It's, it's high press. Gagan press is high press. Okay, okay. Um, Four, two, three, one, I believe. They play. So it's it's... it's really it's good to see that all around. When it gets tricky is when it's a defenders. Now, normally we'd say that we're covered because of the amount of pace there is within that back line. So if Tomori presses, Kalulu can cover. If Kalulu presses, Tomori can cover. But it's as simple as they've been being caught out. It's not simply down to those two. We see Teo Hernandez going up quite a bit. Um, we see Tomori going up. We see Kalulu going up. We see Calabria going up. And it's probably counter-attacks. The reason would be a lot of them would be counter-attacks. It's, it's catching Milan out or catching Milan on the press in that case. So that's probably it. The same thing that makes Milan so dangerous off and on the ball is the same thing that makes them vulnerable at the back. So probably after a bit of time come, come January, we'll see that back four gelling together better than they were in the beginning of the season. But we'll need to wait and see. We'll need to wait and see. Yeah. Teo's out for a while now, I heard, no? Around he is, two weeks. Um, apparently, yes, he might be back for the Chelsea game, so we'll see how he how he does. Um, but yes, both him and Calabria were pulled off the national teams. 
Um, Origi should be back though for Champions League. Nice. Now we'll see. We'll That's see what happens to him right before to miss it. Um, <laughs> speaking of Theo Hernandez, bro, it was nice to see him uh, making the team walk to the to the fans at the end of the game as they were singing. Yeah. You know they were yeah. they were doing the whole. Um, what's the song? Um, what were they singing? Na 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 na. No, 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 they were they were singing that exactly. Basically, um, it's Milan's um, call to you know when, when Milan aren't winning, the fans sing that. Basically, it's like we'll always mm. support you, we'll never lead you. You're our only love, all that. So the fans were singing that at the end of the game, which was nice to see. Um, yeah. There was a time when every time Milan would lose a game, the players would get booed to oblivion yeah. because Milan yeah. were there. This, this so is the the best time in recent history to be a Milan for fan. sure, for sure. And I know there's 2007. Winning the Champions League, Kakao winning the Ballon d'Or, prime time, mm. fucking all that, and there's 90s as well. But I've never seen the fans have so much faith in the players, the players have so much faith in the coach, everyone playing for the shirt. We filtered out the ones that weren't. Mm. And there's just this belief, this enthusiasm, everyone that's there, purely at the helm. And there's just love and respect and acceptance all around man everyone wants everyone to perform well i haven't heard of any instances where there were clashes between teammates or clashes between coaches the staff and players it and the seemed... only one there was caused an uproar it was uh, calabria being disappointed when he was ah, subbed off in no. the champions league and, and he was uh, like, sulking a bit there you go but yeah uh, you're absolutely right it's true um this milan's very cohesive um Napoli and Atalanta are the only two unbeaten teams in the league so far, bro. Fun fact. There you go. I find they're very they're very similar, those two teams. Um, I know their formations and their shape would be completely different, but their high-intensity football is very similar. I see a lot of similarities between Gasperini's style of play and Spalletti's style Maybe of play. Maybe Gasperini's style of play last year and the previous years, and not so much this year. No, this year's a bit different. I still mm -hmm. need to put my finger on what Atalanta are doing this year. They seem a lot more defensive than they yeah. were in in, pre, in previous years, which gives them a lot better balance. They're not quite winning game 7-1, like they would randomly a couple of seasons ago, but they're still undefeated, which is which is a good sign. We'll get into them later on. I have a few points I would like okay, to make. We'll try to move on because we've been on this game for a while. Hey, bro, let's, in fact, we can, we can conclude. Um, guess what I haven't prepared? Oh my God, where they are. Yeah, don't worry, I'm pulling up the table. Napoli sit first with 17 points, while Milan sit fifth with 14 points. The next game we're going to be covering might be deemed as the biggest upset that there was, but to people that have been tuning in on watching Serie A for the past four weeks, then, then perhaps it's not. It's Udinese 3, Inter 1. Udinese were coming off a 3-1 away victory to Sassuolo. Vice Inter were coming off a 1-0 victory against Torino with that last-minute goal. And a 2-0 away victory at the hands of Victoria Plisson, who have the stupidest name I've ever heard in Victoria my life. Victoria Plisson? Bro, there, there, there isn't one, one vowel in there. P-L-Z-N. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it sounds like one of those um, local youth Student councils in Malta, <laughs> PLZN, like <laughs> short for what? Partit Laborista Zazach Nacional. Some fucking shit. I don't know. Udinese are now on five wins, one loss, and one draw, whilst Inter are on four wins and three 
losses. So looking at their lineups, Odinese lined up with their 3-5-2 formation, Silvestri between the sticks, a back three of Becao, Bijol and New Perez. Odoji and Pereira out wide with Makengo, Wallace and Lovrich in the middle, Beto and Delefo starting up front. A very versatile team. You look at the substitutes as well. There's Isaac Success, there's Samardzic, there's Arslan, so on and so forth. Very versatile team. You then look at Inter. Can you imagine the Paul and Molina in that team, man? Jesus Christ. That would be crazy. It would be. be. Fucking hell. But I like the way they line up. They're more team-orientated than they've they've been in recent years. Yep, I agree. You then look at Inter's lineup also, fielding a 3-5-2, Handanovic in goal with Skriniar, Acerbi and Bastoni at the back line. Dumfries and Darmian being the wing-backs with Barella, Brozovic and Mkhitaryan in the midfield and Lautaro and Zeko up front. Obviously, Lukaku is still injured. He's been training alone at the moment. Um, Chalanoglu is injured and, and is out for two to three weeks because of a hamstring injury. And Acerbi starting at the back ahead of Devry was a bit of rotation. Is it a bit of rotation? Is it things to come? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Acerbi might be better than Devry at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> at the moment, Acerbi was the only one that had a decent performance this, this time round. Bastoni wasn't exactly great. He was caught out a little bit. And Skriniar had a bit of a shocker, but I'm about to get into all of this. Um, the scoring was opened in the fifth minute. Do you remember I said Pellegrini is better than Barella because he can like hit free kicks and stuff? Yes, bro. I remember that very clearly. He's been doing none of that. Barella smacked in a free kick <laughs> this time round, making my point absolutely annulled. Um, <laughs> stunning free kick. Um, it was just outside the area off to the left-hand side and he curled it into the, exactly the top corner, pinpoint into the top corner. Um Nothing any goalkeeper in the world could have done about it. A brilliant strike by, by Nicola Barella. Um, except Skorupski, bro. Except perhaps Skorupski, but that would mean Manjan could do something about it as well. Because number one and number two, subsequently. Uh, right, yeah. uh-huh. So I don't normally mention yellow cards, but I think it's important to point out that in the 13th minute and in the 21st minute, uh, Bastoni and Mkhitaryan were both booked. Um, probably because of the Nez make teams do that. Um, and then in the 22nd minute, Skriniar uh, put the ball into his own net after Pereira's free kick cross hit Skriniar's hip and into the back of the net. Um, he might have not saw it coming. There was a lot of commotion going on in front of him. The ball seemed to get through, hit him in the hip, and it went into the back of the net. A very dangerous cross by Pereira. I love it when you see th- those powerful cross coming in just into the middle of the box and all that mayhem. It's like, good luck. <laughs> in the 30th minute, then, a double change by Simone Enzaghi. Very, very controversial. Taking out Mkhitaryan and Bastoni, who were on yellow cards. Bringing on Galliardini and De Marco. Weird, to say the least. Really a, weird. A, a very, mean, very weird move. A if very you take weird out move. Mkhitaryan in the 30th minute and you bring on Galliardini, who's going to fucking charge here? Exactly. He's going to drive Exactly. Like, it's it's weird taking out Bastoni as well, but I get that you're bringing on DeMarco, you're bringing on someone that can yeah. play the ball from the from the back three. Although Bastoni can do that, no no problem whatsoever. I would have made this, this change later on. The thing um, is, this you guy... You take out Mkhitaryan, you, so you're missing Chalanoglu. So you put Mkhitaryan on instead of him, so you still have that attacking avenue. You take him out in 30 minutes because he got a yellow card and you replace him with Gagliardini. Exactly. He's he's prioritizing the the probability of um, 
you know, being sent off of being a man down over the actual cohesiveness of the team. Exactly, exactly. And it's a, it's, it's a weird decision, especially I guess if, if you take out a defender at halftime, like Pioli did, um, well, to be honest, Calabria had, had picked up a knock as well, but you take out a defender at halftime, I get it, I get it. No need to take out your attacking midfielder because he's on a yellow card, Bello. There, there, yeah. there, there's no need to do that. And replacing with Galadin, if they had Sensi still and they brought on Sensi, I might close an eye and say, okay, they still have an attacking avenue over it, even though Sensi was rubbish for Inter. Um, but bringing on Gagliardini over there against Udinese, it's like, are you playing for a draw here, bro? You just conceded and you're bringing on Gagliardini? What, 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 what's going on? Honestly, bro, I, I have no idea what the hell he was thinking. Really fucking weird It's one. really weird. Really um, weird one. You, you know, as you mentioned, Pioli did the same thing. Um, but, you know, Pioli was up against one of the best 1v1 wingers in the league exactly. probably the best alongside or behind leo exactly. probably behind leo um but yeah so so this game you know you really don't trust your guys to finish the first half without being sent off you could see bastoni was so visibly irate when he was substituted and, and and i think there is something going on within that inter camp where players aren't too happy maybe with the management of i don't, I don't know if it's the management maybe. of simone and zaghi or maybe there's a bit of a an atmosphere of hotheads. These are, this is essentially the the same side that that lifted the trophy under Conte. So you must have a few characters over there. You must have a few divas, so to say. And this is the first time Inzaghi is leading an Inter side that aren't champions and Inter side that lost the league because Radu fucked up. Yeah, and you can probably imagine, right, that the, you know behind. The manager is back. These guys will be saying he's no Conte. See? <laughs> ah, for sure, yeah, for sure. And and I mean the relationship they had with Conte. That there was that whole time Lautaro boxed him because they had yeah. a, they had a public argument. They're like, okay, uh, we settle this in the ring. That that's fucking yeah, exactly. brilliant. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, now they have this guy who looks like Pippo but sweats like Lee Evans. He looks like he pisses himself yeah. for some reason. He looks like he someone that, that that has like in his underwear <laughs> um, but uh, please please elaborate on that point <laughs> <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't know what I mean it like, looks like he has a piece like he, yes like, like one of those salesmen with, with the long hair the baggy suit that's trying to sell you a Toyota Corolla from 1999 with 80 80,000 kilometers on it mm. and he's like smacking the trunk of it <laughs> while he's talking he just strikes me as that how kind do you know of that guy, this like... type of person would have dirty underwear are, are you trying to make me politically incorrect no, no, you, you want me to why, say why because all salesmen smell like piss or, or some, or yeah, some i think shit. it's because you're a salesman my brother so maybe you have dirty underwear I just want to point out that I'm the head of sales, the head of sales. It's <laughs> my <laughs> Sean. <laughs> head of <laughs> yeah. um, second half. The second half. At this point, 1-1. Inter have no yellow cards. Whoop the fucking do. 46th minute Matteo Darmian yellow card. Um, later on in the second half, there was a brilliant... Danovic was on Lovric. Down in Kredder. Down in Kredder. And then Delafoe hit the post with a low and hard at attempt and they had Handanovic totally rooted to the spot. Delafeu was on fucking fire, man. In it really game. was. Um, it was then in the 79th minute. It took till the, sorry, till the 84th minute actually for Bijol 
to score, making it 2-1 for Udinese. It was a near post corner taken by De Lefeu that found Bijol, who directed the ball into the bottom far corner. Um, Handanovic rooted to the spot, but there's not that. Of that, maybe try to show that. <laughs> um, and that was the 92nd minute that Telefo had another moment of brilliance to assist Tolgay Arslan. Um, it was a brilliant cross by Telefo that found him totally, totally by himself, and he headed the ball in off the crossbar just over the goalkeeper. I want to fact check because I said that Pereira's free kick hit Skriniar's hip and went into the back of the net. Was it Pereira or Delefeu? Because I saw that Delefeu had three goal contributions, but I'm obviously only counting two with the two assists. It, was, it might have been Delefeu, to be honest. Um, I can't quite remember right now. Um, I know Delefeu struck the post. He did. Uh, when he had uh, Handanovic rooted to the spot, low hard attempt, it was after the save on Loverich. Yeah. Um, where the hell do we start from? Where the fuck do so, we start from? I have something I'd like to say about Inter. So first of all, Inter have lost two games this season, no, yeah. in, the, in the league. No, three now. Three, three, three yes. Now. They've lost against... Lazio, Lazio Milan and Milan Udinese. And Udinese. Now granted, they've lost against three good sides, no? At the moment, mm-hmm. Udinese's form, it's undeniable to say that they're, um, they're not one of the best sides in the league. Mm-hmm. They lost against Milan, fine, and they lost against Lazio as they did last season, fine. Um, are people panicking too early? Because I've seen people calling for Nzagi's head, saying that he's not ready to coach, he's not, um, he can't handle the pressure of San Siro and all this stuff. Do you think this is true? Look, I mean, like I said earlier, this is the first time that Inzaghi has 11 men to his arsenal that aren't the champions of Italy. So it's the first time they have to inspire themselves they have to come back and 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 yeah inspire themselves rather than be inspired from the fact that they're champions and they're on a high so they have to come back and from disappointment essentially in the manner at which they fucking lost the league in in the first place now are they exactly playing uninspiring and unattractive football i don't think they're playing uninspiring and unattractive football but I think they're limited. They're limited in certain avenues that they certainly weren't limited in last season. We start off with the Perisic, the whole Perisic mm-hmm. thing. Down the left-hand side, Gossens comes in, you keep him on the bench, he's recovering, and you keep on utilizing Perisic because he's on such great form. He does that, Perisic fucks off to Tottenham, and you give Gossens the opportunity. Is he being given the opportunity? Not at all. Because from what I'm hearing, they want to give him to Brentford. They want to start yeah. Darmian on the left-hand side. He was very close to, to going to Germany, I believe. It, it, he was linked with fucking Brentford and Leverkusen, man. Yeah. Um, is, is, it, is it a Gossens problem, that? Is it a team problem? I think Inzaghi needs to um, appreciate the player that he has available over here, Gossens, the monster that is... The same Gossens that we saw at Atalanta all those you know, two years mm. ago, last no, two years ago, three years ago, he was an animal, an absolute animal on the left, one of the best. You know, there were shouts that he was better than Theo at the time. 
um, and he needs to get this guy and make him feel like he's part of the project, that he's a center mm-hmm. part of the project. Play him even if he doesn't play well, build the team around him, give him the confidence to succeed. He's not going to get the confidence to succeed from the bench, you know? No, absolutely not. And, and, and he has something that Inter lack at the moment. Inter lack an individual that can basically charge forward and take a motherfucker on. Lukaku mm-hmm. is injured and he's really not that guy anymore anyway. Um, Lautaro is good in between the lines, but mm-hmm. he's not exactly a dribbler. Barella maybe is a little no, bit one, of that. One v 1 dribblers, they're extremely limited. Exactly. I believe the stat was that their joint lost with, with Cremonese. Cremonese. 4.7. Oh, sorry. The actual stat is 4.7 successful dribbles on average per match. Gossens can be that guy. Gossens can really be that guy down the left. He can really advance forward, he can square the ball, he can pull the ball back, he can cut it inside, not giving him that opportunity. Yeah. They're playing Darmian inverted. Give me a fucking break. Don't play Darmian inverted. Try to get Gossens into the game a little bit. Um, but I don't think Inzaghi, I don't think they should be calling for Inzaghi to be sacked yet. Firstly, give a coach two years, always give a coach two years. Someone with the caliber of Inzaghi at a team like Inter, give him two years. I don't think Relax. it's as simple as that. Imagine though, halfway through the season, he's in high risk if of he's missing ninth, out on, on Champions League football. Let's say he's, he's in sixth and he's nine points off of fourth, for example, mm. halfway through the season. You know what I mean? That might be sackable considering Inter's ambitions now. Yeah, Bella, but we're seven days in. We're sorry, seven, seven games in. So I don't think they should be calling no, for him right. to be sacked It's yet. way too early still right now, exactly. I, I do agree, but um, I was responding to the two-year claim. Mm, I, I think with, uh, obviously it depends on the situation. If they're fucking, like you said, out, out of Europe in that case, then that's obviously, um, it's expected that you would sack your coach in that sense. But I, I, I still don't think it would be a no-brainer in that case. I think if you look at Inter and they need to get Champions League, let's say they're in fifth or whatever, they have a couple of games remaining... Um, do you totally ditch Inzaghi who's very capable of getting you there and you've seen it before for an entirely new project so it's always up for debate and I always like to give the benefit of the doubt to the manager but let's stick to um, Inter right now what would you say is their biggest concern? Their lack of defensive depth Mm. their lack of creativity in midfield um, their manager's obsession with statistics those are the three concerns, I think, from my okay. opinion for Inter. And does the atmosphere within the team come to mind when I mention concerns for I Inter? I mean, it's only it's only natural that when you don't win, things aren't going to look as as pleasant. You know what I mean? Mm. These were the same guys we saw when they were winning games. They were fucking having all these barbecues, posting on social media, <laughs> living the time of their lives. You know what I mean? So, obviously, the mood is reflected by yeah. the performance no mm-hmm. and by the results rather not even the performances mm-hmm. so i think right now look they lost one they won one they lost one they won one they lost one it's not terrible yet yeah not terrible but certainly concerning uh, but at the end of the day they lost against anodineza that are flying right now they're like no other team pretty much um they lost against milan in the derby and they lost against lazio and there's like this whole simone and zaghi curse at inter when they play lazio so three losses that at the end of the day could very much occur against a team like Inter. Um, however, obviously, it's disappointing as a manager and as a team. You have those three tough fixtures and you get zero out of nine potential points. 
Yes, let's see how this um, evolves. It's definitely too early for them to press the panic button. Um, as we mentioned, they're two points off of fourth spot and very much within reach of the top of the table. Exactly. Um, let's jump a little bit to Udinese, who have been stellar right now. Um, so they have now beaten Fiorentina, Roma, Sassuolo and Inter. What is their ceiling for this season? I think at the rate things are going, they could definitely aim for a Conference League spot. Mm. Do you think they are actively aiming for a Conference League spot or do you think they'll um, see, okay, how far can we possibly go? Like? I don't, I think first, it, it is too early to look at the table, um, but they're probably looking at the fact that they can beat most of these top teams or they can give mm. them a game at least, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they scored two against Milan, they beat Inter, you know, they trashed Roma. They're probably thinking to themselves, listen, we can do something this year. Mm -hmm. Let's see where this goes. Um, probably, Sotil is telling his men not to not to take any notice of the table and play without pressure. Exactly, and I think that's what they're doing so well. Um, and and this this Sotil guy is just there were so many questions asked about you know a guy that was managing Ascoli mm -hmm. last year, but he's really come into this area. He was highly rated in Serie B, by the way. He came into mm -hmm. Serie. A, and he's doing bits. What is he doing so well? So he adapted. The most important thing I believe that he did here was he adapted to Udinese's three at the back system that they've mm. been using for so long. With uh, They've used it with Gotti. They used it with Chaffee. Uh, as Chaffee well. as all the guys that came before. Um, he was playing four at the back at Ascoli and that's typically his brand. But he came to this team and he focused on adapting himself to the team instead of mm. adapting the team to mm. himself. Mm. You know the the I mean? opposite of what a Conte Exactly, would do, the opposite right? of what Conte, the opposite of what Sarri do when mm. they go to exactly. the team, you know? And I feel like he's doing it brilliantly and he's making the most out of the tools he has. He has a bunch of utility players that he's using brilliantly. Mm -hmm. He gives players confidence, you know? Um, he has substitutes that feel like they could make an impact as well. You yeah. know? He's, he's really created a squad over here. He has, man. And it's also... Odinese were, were great towards the, the end of last season as well. Like the last quarter of the season, they were they were very good. Um, but under under Trophy and Gotti, it seemed like they were a bit boring to watch. Like they relied mm -hmm. a bit too much on turning the game into a scrap and, and, and to use, utilizing their physicality as much mm -hmm. as they possibly can. They're so much more versatile now. It feels like they have way more weapons. But when you look at the starting level, all that changes that they lost a threat like Molina. But suddenly it looks like they have all these weapons at their arsenal. So that high press, that fluid football, that dynamic football, uh, high intensity, high pressure. It's just lovely to watch. And they're really capable of keeping it up for 90 minutes. Man, you're in 90 minutes of hell when yeah. you play Udinese right now. Man. Definitely intense, intense 90 minutes. For sure. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do against the rest of the top seven sisters. I believe, what is it? Is it three down or four down now? Three down. Fiorentina, Roma and Inter. If you can consider mm. Fiorentina one of the well, they top seven. Are. They technically well, they, are. They, and Atalanta aren't, which, is, yeah, <laughs> which is weird. Let's say three out of eight, three out of eight down, um, including the loss, the loss against Milan this as well. I think we can move on to... The next game, I don't want to praise Odinese for, yeah. for too long. Uh, the table. Oh, yeah, you're, you're ha -ha. right. Ha-ha. The maestro gets, gets what? Gets what? 
Maes Road. The, the, I guess so, yeah, or yeah. how the turntable. Exactly. <laughs> so Inter are currently in seventh on 12 points, but you know, two points out of that Champions League spot, so relax. Um, Udinese in third on 16 points, one point behind first. So the next game we're going to be covering is Roma nil Atalanta 1. 1, not 1. Um, <laughs> Roma had won their last two Serie A meetings with Atalanta under Jose Mourinho. They could have made the three in a row for the first time since 2011, bro. This was under Claudio Ranieri and Luis Enrique. Whoa. Quite a while, yes, but uh, Atalanta caused an upset. Would you call this an upset? I would totally call this an upset, personally. Let's get into the lineups and I will discuss that. Okay. Um, Roma lined up lined up with uh, Rui Patricio on goal. Mancini, Smalling and Banias at the back. Spinazzola on the left. Celic on the right. Matic and Cristante in the middle. Pellegrini and Zaniolo playing off the shoulder of Tammy Abraham. It was a 3-4-3 for Atalanta with Musso on goal, Toloi, Demiral and Derun at the back. Hatteberg on the right, Male on the left with Coop Miners and Scalvini in the middle. Pasalic on the right, Ederson on the left and Hoyland up front. Now, um, any takeaways from the lineup? Um, I mean, it's good to see Trellick starting ahead of Karsdorp. Um, mm. That's always... I think Karsdorp might be injured though, that's why. Okay, okay. In fact, in fact, he wasn't on the bench. I'm seeing over here, but it's still nice seeing seeing Trellick get some minutes. He's yeah, been he's much really better. Good. He's been much better than Karsdorp this year. Um, otherwise, nothing to write home about about that um, Roma side. Mm-hmm. Atalanta, obviously, I'm I'm never surprised with anything they do. So starting um, Hoyland up front with with Pasalic off the shoulder and Edison off the shoulder, that doesn't shock me. You know what I mean. I'm shocked by everything Gasperini does. But they they, they would be um they wouldn't exactly be like okay it's a 3-4-3 but it's more of a 3-4-2-1 and Pasalic and Edison are those two more offensive avenues in midfield you know what I mean with yeah. Scalvini and Coop Miners just behind them a very very attacking team huh? a very attacking team like you're talking Coop Miners as part of your double pivot in midfield alongside Scalvini Mm. Then you have Pasalic and Ederson. It's a very attacking team, man. But yes. not their physical characteristics. These players are still destructive when it comes to breaking down play. They're very capable. Yeah, but it's it's loads of goal scorers, man. Yes, that's true. They're very capable. Loads of, of goal scorers. The only goal of the game, bro, came in the thirty-fifth minute, and that was from Scalvini, Giorgio Scalvini. It was Erasmus Hoyland. Assist. It was a low driven shot placed into the bottom corner from outside the area. It was a really good finish by Scalvini. Yeah, it's nice kind of like finish. the Kalulu goal, remember, from outside the area? Yes, 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 last season. Goal. Or like kind of like Bastoni's trademark goals mm-hmm. from outside the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, in the 57th minute, Mourinho got sent off because he couldn't believe his eyes. <laughs> it, it must have been extremely frustrating for him because this game was a sequence of failed opportunities by Roma. Roma uh-huh. totally dominated this game. Mm-hmm. I was surprised they didn't get get a single point out of it. They probably deserved three. Yeah. Atalanta played the most Jose Mourinho game. You know, they Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho. Literally. Because like, you look at this, they broke down the play so many times. Every 20 minutes, they stopped the play. And then it became more frequent as the game progressed. Um, mm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven yellow cards for for Atalanta compared to um, Roma's zero. Um, <laughs> they have a red card, of course, that's on their coach. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they broke down the play well, bro. They fucking 
caused a massive upset over here, in my opinion. A few stats. So Roma's XG was 2.44. Mm. Atalanta's was 0.17. Fucking hell. There's expected goals. I know some people don't agree with the philosophy, I, I but it's quite telling, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and the goal that they got was... was a placed shot from outside the exactly. area. Exactly. Against the run of play. Placed on a silver platter for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Zaniolo was terrorizing them and he's probably the reason a bunch of those guys were were on yellow cards because yeah. late on in the match, he, he was even brought down in the box twice. Yeah. First one, not a penalty. Um, second one, there was contact, man. There was contact with the man and there wasn't contact with the ball. Or at least there was contact with the man first. Who was? Who, who was? So I forgot, I forgot who it was. Um, and it's difficult to tell because all the three centre-backs were on yeah. were on yellow cards. Um, but I, I, I recall Zaniolo diving relentlessly. Uh, but but there, there was one. And in fact, Mourinho said after the game, he said, just because my player doesn't hit the ground, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's not a foul. It's like, I'm not going to encourage my players to hit the deck. Yeah, he said, I'm going to have to change what my have entire to change. way of coaching. Mm-hmm. And, and bro, Zaniolo got his shirt tugged in the, bo- in the box twice. Uh, but he was also pulling the other guy's shirt. That's the problem. Uh, well, 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 what do you want him to do? No, but he might have, even the commentator had said on both instances that Zaniolo was the one who originally fouled the man. You know what I mean? So um, they're 50-50s. They're not clear. And that's not what you should rely on anyway to win you the game. Um, Mourinho said <laughs> said this, in fact, to your point. He said, if you have to be a clown, and there are a lot in this league, and dive like you're in a swimming pool, then I need to change the way I'm coaching my team. Um, in training now it's so funny how he says this when Zaniolo you know looks like he's performing Swan Lake every time he fucking enters the box but the whole point is that he didn't he, at that, one point he definitely did bro at one point he fucking dove so badly bro it was no but what Mourinho's referring to there is the fact that Zaniolo didn't go down screaming in the box when his shirt was getting tugged you know on what that I mean? one instance yes but the thing is Zaniolo is a Notorious diver. Yeah, it's true. It's Everyone true. fucking knows his reputation for diving, no? That's true. Yeah, but basically, bro, last week we said that Atalanta have learned how to win ugly. They've transformed into a team that is more mature and more streetwise. Here they are again, four shots to, to Roma's 21, and they go home with all three points. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, a very opportunistic display by Atalanta to be able to get away with a victory like you said 21 shots to Roma four shots to Atalanta you'd never imagine that Atalanta would or any side for that matter would get away with three points over there um I might go as far to say that they didn't technically deserve it um not because they didn't do what they had to do because they did exactly what they had to do but the reason Roma didn't get all three points is solely down to Roma and their end product they can create all the chances in the world if they're not going to put them at the back of the net. And we've been saying this from day one, bro. Yeah. If they can't put the ball into the back of the net, then it's for nothing. Zaniolo needs to work on his end product. Tammy, it just seems like sometimes he's off and sometimes he's on. And he's been way more off this season. He's um, finishing particularly, right? Yeah. I think it was a mixed bag of a performance for Abraham. I, I thought he held the ball up well and set up his teammates well but then when it came to the one-on-ones just inexcusable man those yeah. two misses yeah yeah and that that is the case where I would like to see Belotti more 
like Belotti on the break would probably be more effective than Tammy Abraham on the break, for example, just a situation I see it happening more. Um, but yeah, that that's my take. Atalanta didn't exactly deserve to win the game, but the reason Roma didn't get the full three points is totally down to them and no one else. Yeah, that's it. Um, hats off to Atalanta. Um, it seems that every season they come up with like a new player. So they mm. pick him off the street. Like Hoyland up front, you know, Scalvini yeah. in the middle. Like these guys starting. Pretty good. nice to see, you know, every every single season. New player and then boom, sold for 20 million. So for 30 exactly. million. Exactly. So yeah, nice to see that they're, they've kept their form up, uh, Atalanta. Yeah, yeah. Now we'll see for how long they can actually keep it up. It's a strong start, but it's all about sustainability. Um, but I think since they're having such stable performances that doesn't require so much offensive output, um, they are saving their energy. They have a very versatile squad, so they'll bring in more players. So I don't anticipate that they'll have many, many injuries going forward as a result of the tight schedule and, and fatigue. Mm-hmm. That's true. No, Atalanta can relax, right? They can uh, focus on the league. That's yeah. all they have to work. It's clearly it's helping. Roma, on the other hand, need to uh, start taking their chances. But I do believe that the goals will come. And the way they're playing, it's inevitable that they're going to start scoring. You can't keep missing these chances. You can't. Um, no. Eventually, you know, if this keeps happening, I wouldn't be surprised if Balotti outright benches Tammy Abraham. Yeah, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised at that either. Or maybe they can start with two up front. Yeah. They're, they're two strikers that that could potentially work pretty well together. But yeah, the, with the amount of talent that they have in the attacking midfield region with, with Zaniolo, Dybala, Pellegrini, it's very difficult to see them sacrificing one of those to facilitate adding a striker to their arsenal. So. <laughs> Tammy's going to need to step it the fuck up or Bellotti's going to need to step it the fuck up. That's it. Or Shomorodov. Or Shomorodov. <laughs> who, who, by the way, missed, missed an absolute yes. sitter, man. Missed a sitter. Uh, yeah. Who was the, whose chance was the best, you think? Probably Shomorodov, man. He had, he had an open goal. And he didn't even have a defender on him. He didn't even need to jump. He saw it late, huh? Yeah. He, he, he saw it late. Tammy on the first one was quite bad. I think we should have done way better there. <laughs> Um, and the bunny's got the closest, of course, when he hit the crossbar with his head. Yeah. But that's it. I feel ready to move on to the treat, bro. Amazing. Will you let us know where they are? Of course. Please. Um, Roma Please. are sixth with 13 points, while Atalanta are second with 17 points. Wow, 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 wow. The next game we're going to be covering is, just hold on one second, Monza 1 Juve nil single-handedly the biggest update update the, the biggest upset <laughs> the that new there was was. this this week um yeah Monza were coming off a 1-1 away draw to Lecce which was actually their first point that they had received and shortly followed by this match which was their first win in Serie A history ever for them and it came under their caretaker manager um and much like Bologna under their caretaker manager, they managed to get their first win of the season. Um, Juve were coming off a 2-2 home draw to Salernitana and a 2-1 home loss to Benfica. They're now on two wins, one loss and four draws. 
Um, but yeah, let's go through the lineups. Monza lined up with a 3-4-2-1 formation with the Gregorio on goal and the back line of Itzo, Mari and Santos. Augusto and Churra were the two wingbacks with Sensi and Rovella and the holding midfield rows and Caprari Pessina um, on the wings with Mota just ahead of them. Juve lined up in a 4-3-3 with Perrin in gold, Desilio, Gatti, Bremer and Danilo forming the back line, McKenny, Parades and Miretti in the midfield with Di Maria, Vlaovic and Kostic forming the front line. Any takeaways from these lineups or pretty much um, all as expected? About the lineups, no. About the game, a fuck that. <laughs> so, so let's get straight into it. Um, so... Monza started. Monza. I don't think there was any point in the game that and Monza. And Monza. I just want to get that clear and out there because I'm about to say something, and people will use this as an excuse as to why Juve lost the game. In the 40th minute, Di Maria elbowed Itzo in the chest because Itzo pulled his shirt a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, he got a straight red card for that. Really, really, really dumb fucking move by Di Maria especially with Juve's lack of resources at the moment um, and their lack of points, they could have really used him to try to squeeze something of out of Monza. There are some players that have that can have all the experience in the world and still act out of emotion. Um, and just maybe De Maria is one of those guys. They needed his creativity and he did that. 40 minutes in, he does that. The reason I pushed for us to bet on this game was because of the return of Di Maria. There I really thought he could do some damage over here. Um, but <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> he really done, let us down. Yeah, he's um, done some serious damage. He almost broke it so's rib. It was from the get-go, though. Prior to this moment, um, Monza had 56.4% exactly. possession. That's exactly. crazy. That's why I wanted to make it clear that Monza were better when Juve had 11 men as yeah. well. Juve were playing counter-attacking football. Do not get it twisted. Yeah. Monza controlled it. Monza controlled it. It was then in the 74th minute where Chura had the ball out wide. He had an in-swinging cross um, to the near post. Gitkier managed to get ahead of Gatti sliding in to put the ball past Perrin. There was a lack of pressure by Kostic on Chura, which allowed him to deliver the cross with Yep, no pressure whatsoever. Um, Monza win the game, 1-0. Absolutely unreal. Absolutely unreal. unreal. For, for them, their first win in Serie A ever. And it's under their caretaker manager in Raffaele Palladino, who might actually stick around after that, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. Galliani compared him to Sacchi. Okay, relax. I know, right? <laughs> he, as in, to the point that, like, when he brought Saki in, apparently he was a, a nobody. Ah. He wasn't proven yet. Mm. Rafael Palladino is a former Juventus player, so this is kind of like written in the stars as a start to get Monza their first ever victory against Juventus. Um, I think it would be unwise for them to not go for Claudio Ranieri, though. Uh, I would really, if I were Berlusconi and Galliano, now just push for Ranieri. Hey, and I, I mean, it doesn't mean they're they're gonna get rid of of Palladino. He's still gonna be gonna be involved in involved in the team. They should bring in someone like Ranieri. He's a man that has he has a style of play. He can really give Monza a sense of identity about them. Um, and I think I think Ranieri would be the way to go. Very experienced yeah. as well. 
Oh, we'll see. It's always interesting with these young managers. Let's see if they make this drop on mistake yeah, twice. Exactly. <laughs> Monza had 60% ball possession. <laughs> they had 17 goal attempts, four of those on target. They had nine off target. They had 17 free kicks. They had five corners. They were in offside position six times because they were so eager to go forward. They had 534 total passes to Juve's 333. Do not get it twisted. Monza dominated this game. 60% ball possession and 17 goal attempts against Juve is unheard of. They were in full (laughs) control. Yeah. They were in full control, but it, it, it was a good performance by Monza, but it was encouraged by Juve. Mm-hmm. Juve did nothing in this game but encourage Monza to play their game. Yes, attack us, come forward. Aha, uh-huh, maybe you won't get a goal. Here's a fucking red card. Attack us some more, please. Attack us some more, please. We're going to sit back a little bit. Ta. And, and we're going to lose our shape a little bit. Good luck. Like, change the ball around, see what you can do. Dreadful performance by Juve. Terrible. Monza won. Sure, they were good, but because. Juve encouraged them mm-hmm. to. What they, are your takes on the game? They totally set um, set themselves up for failure over here. Like playing against Monza on the counter doesn't make any sense, and especially that uh, when you have your most experienced player who's meant to be the game changer getting a red card in such a an impulsive, stupid, hot headed hot headed way, just mm-hmm. goes to show right, that things are not looking good for them. Um, fortunately, they have a way out. No, they can sack the coach. No, wrong. <laughs> Allegri signed a five year contract. I believe it was he's on his third year now. I believe he has mm-hmm. two more years left, which is mental. To give a so coach a five-year contract is crazy. So dumb. Um, and apparently they would have to pay him up to 36 million gross, um, according to Corriere della Sera, if they were to sack him. So um, it would be the equivalent of signing a good player, know, which I don't think they have the funds to do. So they're kind of fucked right now. They're stuck in a bit of a predicament. Plus, Agnelli's pride, you know, because Agnelli doesn't want to um, make it look or show that he's made a mistake rehiring Allegri. So I think it want to hold on to him for a little bit lo- longer. But how much more of this can Juve fans take, man? We've already, we're seeing them melt down, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not looking good. Right? Di Maria's missing the Milan game because he got a two-match ban. Legend. Allegri keeps making scapegoats and excuses. This is a virtual Juventus. Take away five starters from Milan or Inter and we'll see if they struggle. You, they, take, away, you brother, take away five starters from Milan and they win the league, my brother, friend. That's brother, it. have you watched a game last season? Allegri yeah. with the African Cup of Nations losing your two starting central midfielders in Kessie and exactly. Ben Nasser having only Giroud up front because Latan constantly injured. Napoli last year Pierre during their stretch Koulibaly and Ozyman and they still went on to, to do well. Shut uh, the fuck up, Allegri. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's ridiculous. And the more he speaks, the more he's digging his own grave yes. because he's making these really simplistic analogies. That makes me think this guy is living n- not in the early it's 2000s, not in the 90s, not in the 80s, living in the fucking 60s, man. His mentality is you need to, it's a very simple game. You need to pass the ball. Yes. <laughs> you need so many things to win a game of yeah. football this year. You, yeah. you were the first case in point. They need to improve so many avenues if they're going to want to start winning games because they've got nothing to their arsenal. Nothing to their arsenal. They've got a world-class striker up front, world-class defender at the back, <laughs> 
And they have a very talented young midfielder mm-hmm. in Miretti in the middle. Tell me what else they have going for them right now. They better turn things around or these values are going to start depreciating and everything's going to look terrible for them, you know. They're yeah. on the brink of crisis right now. And even their their uh, wage structure isn't the best still. You know, you look at the five highest or the ten highest turners in the league, how many of them are you? The vast majority of them. Yeah. Um, and if you're... If your wage structure looks like that, you best get Champions League because you need that money. Especially if it looks like that, yeah. you best. Juventus Curva, because there isn't enough going on, decided to put a banner up against Bonucci. <laughs> <laughs> you were not a leader either at AC Milan or here. You will never be. Oh my God. I know. When did that happen? I guess when he left to um, Milan, of course, he <laughs> burnt a few bridges there. <laughs> Maybe. You still have the t-shirt, yo. I still have the t-shirt with uh, Bonucci on it. And to be honest, I'll never get rid of it because that was one of the most gassed of moments of my life when Bonucci joined Milan. from <laughs> it was Milan. a fever dream. Because uh, Juve were so dominant back then, you know, just yeah. taking their best defender at the time was yeah. so he much had, fun. He had six months with Milan where he was awful. And then he had like the remaining however months, three, mm-hmm. four months where he was decent, man. Yeah. He was... But yeah, that's that's fucking passing. What's passing, all their passes are made in their own half. There's absolutely nothing exciting about watching them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, Monza, let's show them some credit because they did manage to get their first three points of the season and their first three mm-hmm. points ever. They are showing improvements in every single game that they're playing. You could tell they're a little bit more fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, you could tell Caprari is getting a little bit more into it and, and, and other players. You could tell that Sensi is picking it up as well. Um, so it's a good performance by them. I've just heard that they've terminated Andrea Ranocchia's contract. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, it's quite Crazy. surprising, but he hasn't really had the he, ground run. He must have been he? terrible. Hey man, yeah. I, I haven't seen much of him if I'm, if I'm being yeah, honest. He hasn't played much, to be fair. Um, but yeah, he, he must... He must have been fucking terrible in training as well. Petania must have been spinning him every other game. (laughs) But anyway, um, last week after the sacking of Stroppa, Berlusconi six months tactically himself. Uh, After this victory, he took all the credit. He was like, the module works. He even posted a video of himself holding a Monza shirt with Berlusconi 1 on it. Isn't Berlusconi (laughs) just peak? Narcissism. (laughs) Celebrating a beautiful victory, holding his own name up. I mean, My God. the man's been in power for, I mean, the man's been in power of something yes. for probably most of his life at, at, at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you need, you need a couple of characters like him in the league because it, it just simply makes it more entertaining. That shit housery. And no matter what he does, Pato still fucked his daughter. Exactly. <laughs> he could do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> Pato fucked his daughter. <laughs> and then he you can fucked your beautiful victory. Pato fucked your daughter. <laughs> did, did he marry her? He did marry her, yes. Pato divorced your daughter yes. as well. <laughs> Pato fucked and divorced your daughter. <laughs> um, you are in eighth on ten points. They're already seven points behind first. Um, Monza are now in 18th, um, four points, one point away from safety. And safety is Verona, and above them is Bologna. So we're seeing we're seeing a couple of, of good teams down at the bottom. You know, Sampdoria dead last, mm. Verona, Bologna in 16th and 17th. It's exciting stuff. It but really is. Over to you, my dude. Cremonese, nil Lazio, four. And it should have probably been more. Probably. 
Cremonese and Lazio faced each other for the first time since March 24th, 1996. The oh, last damn. time they played was in Cremona, 1-2-1 by Cremonese, with a 10-20 brace and a Negro goal. Do not cancel me. <laughs> Cremonese have won four Serie A matches against Lazio. They've drawn three and lost eight. Against no opponent have they claimed more victories in the competition. So... Lazio, no, Cremonese are Lazio's dark horses, historically. Eck. That's hilarious, Eck. no? Yeah, different time. That's completely. brilliant. Let's get into the line. Let's get in. Uh, Lazio in goal, Hisai and Marisic out wide. Um, Patrick and Chasale. Chasale? I always fuck up his yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, Chasale at the back. Milinkovic-Savic, Cataldi and Vecino in the middle. With Anderson on the right, Zakani on the left and Immobile up front. God bless me. Finally, you get to experience yeah. this. <laughs> Let's see how smoothly I can do this. Rado in goal for Cremonese with Lachovsvili at the back, Kirikes and Aiwu. Uh, Valeri on the left, Sir Nicola on the right, Meite and Escalante in the middle. Zanimaki in the attacking midfield role. Okereka up front alongside Desert. That wasn't bad, but there's also a lot of names. Yeah, the, the, because that, they brought that in Meite, the, the other midfielders, like, not... Uh -huh, there, there's no Askaki boy. Askaki boy. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, lineup straightforward. What what was to be expected from these yeah. two sides? Mm -hmm. Luis Alberto once again being on the bench. Funnily enough, um, but yes, it all started in the seventh minute, um, where Sergei Milinkovic-Savic played a clever ball through to Immobile, who took his trademark touch and executed clinically one nil. And the 21st minute was immobile again. Uh, the arms of Lakoshvili, or the hell you pronounce his name, were in an unnatural position in the box as the ball hit his hand. A VAR review quickly prompted the referee to point to the spot. Immobile sent rather the wrong way. 2-0 for Lazio in 20 minutes. In the 46th minute in the first half, Milinkovic-Savic Milinkovic made it 3-0 after a rather blunder. Um, he basically gave the ball away. Um, eventually it led to Sergei Milinkovic-Savic rolling the ball into an empty net and he uh, celebrated using a dummy. He put a dummy in his mouth and sucked it in front of the camera. <laughs> yes. And later on in the second half, there was a Valerio bicycle kick, which was probably Cremonese's highlight of the match. <laughs> um, in the 79th minute, Immobile squared it to Pedro after having a few selfish moments himself to get his hat-trick, ignoring mm. Pedro out wide. Um, he, this time he played it to him. Pedro found himself one-on-one. -on -one. He was never going to miss. He curled it around the keeper. Easy 4-0 victory for Lazio. Yep. I can un never understand, bro, how Lazio get trashed by Mitteland mm. in Europe and then come back to Italy and just win 4-0 away to Cremonese like it's nothing. I guess maybe we know where their priorities lie. That's it, eh? Maybe they don't give a shit about the Europa League. Quite potentially, they don't exert themselves, right? But Sarri is a winner in Europe. Uh -huh. Sorry, sorry, did it with Chelsea. Um, yeah. He had won the Europa League with Chelsea, and and we've been seeing Italian teams show a lot of importance to even Conference League. We saw Mourinho win it with with Roma last year, so he'd probably be itching um, for a trophy in Europe as well, and 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 to advance in Europe, but. At the end of the day, I just think Midland must be a tricky team to play, bro. Because yeah. they, they fucking fucked up Roma as well last it's year. So, so, to be honest, 
Yeah, Midland are great, man. Say, Lazio should have been. They're currently like seventh that. in the Danish Super League. What the hell, man? <laughs> they wow. should. I, I wish they could just come into Serie A and we'll see what they can do over mm-hmm. there because they're better than the Roman teams, apparently. Yeah, it is. It's truly bizarre. But anyway, Lazio domestically are a different animal. They do destroy the teams lower than them. And this is where Mobile's stat pads most of his goals. Yeah, um, yeah. It's important to get, you know, plus four goals in a in a game like this. Immobile was very wasteful at this game as well. Granted, he was clinical in the first moments where mm. it really counted. But then for his hat-trick, he, he missed an empty net. Uh-huh. Um, so we're over-eager in this game. Into, exactly, yeah. yeah. I think Cremonese panicked here. Um, Kyriakos was subbed off early as well because um, he was absolutely terrible. There were raw blunders, you know what I mean? It was, it was a. They panicked, I think. They conceded early in the seventh minute and they just completely collapsed. Mm-hmm. Bro, when did Cremonese. So I didn't watch this game, mm-hmm. right? See here, Cremonese had more shots than Lazio. 18 shots to 14. Yes, but not many of them were on target. They were just long distance attempts. Yeah, that four, I mean, four on target is, isn't isn't bad. Lazio had six. That's interesting to see. Yeah. It's true. They, they did shoot a lot, Cremonese, but um, overall, the tempo was very much dictated by Lazio. No, I have, I have, I have no doubt that Lazio dominated the game. But it's to show that yeah. Cremonese weren't you know, playing defensively against Lazio to try and mm. not make this a spanking. It seemed like they they went out and actually tried to yeah. do something to maybe get points or to I get mean, back into the game. 10 of their shots came when they were 3-0 down. When they were already 3-0 down. Okay, wow. So, yeah, um, they didn't start off very well and they paid for it, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. Poor Alvini, right? I um, feel bad for him. Yeah, well, well. Our our he's new he, our new best friend. He's gonna have a lot of these moments. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid as as Cremone as a manager. Do, do you think there's any hope for Cremonese to survive? I mean, it's still incredibly early. It is incredibly I, I, early, I, I, but I from what you've seen day. so far, do you think they can survive? I think they're one of the teams that um, I can. They're the only team I, I'm confident will go down. Yes, yeah, um they're probably. Destined for relegation, they're, they're definitely the worst out of the promoted three. Until last week, the worst was probably Monza. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, Monza look a bit better on the ball than than Cremonese. And, and now it they was just obvious their first just win. by looking at the lineup that Dylan exactly right, as the season progresses. Yeah, I'd, I'd put my money on. on <laughs> I'd put my money yeah. on it. It won't happen. Then if I put my money. <laughs> Um, yeah, probably Cremonese are down, eh? Like, yeah. they're down bad. But anyway, uh, we saw another classic case of SMS to Immobile. You know, we got the Lazio Classic over here. Yeah. Not much else to say about this one. Lazio in fourth with 14 points. Cremonese in 19th with two points. The next game we're going to be covering is Fiorentina 2, Verona 0. So Fiorentina were coming off a 2-1 loss to Bologna and a 3-0 loss to Istanbul Basak. Basaksa here, right? Um, Veron, on the other hand, coming off a 2-0 loss to Lazio. They're currently on one win, four losses, three draws, which is very concerning. Fiorentina, on the other hand, two wins, two losses, three draws. Not the best either. Um, Fiorentina's lineup, Terracciano on goal with Biragi, Ranieri, Martinez, Quarta and Venuti. 
at the back, Mandragora and Amrabat in that double pivot with Sotil and Jonathan Ikone out wide, Barak in the attacking midfield role and Kwame up front. For Verona, it was a 3-4-1-2, Montepo in goal with Hien, Gunter and Coppola at the back, De Pauli and Lazovic out wide with Tamez, Illich and Hurstic in the middle, um, Henri and Lasagna up front. Pretty much what we expect to see over here from both sides, um, except for obviously Kwame up front for Fiorentina, quite a weird flex over there. Um, so Ikone opened the scoring in the 13th minute with a prime Aryan Robin goal. Um, yeah. Keep Mintoff away from that because you, you, you're serious? Yes. You're comparing Ikone to prime Aryan Robin, man. <laughs> But the defending was absolutely terrible. Was that Coppola? Yeah, it was Coppola and he got done, oh, bro. He got uh, done. And you know what? I don't think anyone in this Fiorentina team needed a goal as badly as Icona, man. Icona's confidence had dipped so low. Mm. Like he, was, he had been playing so badly. I think he even got sent off recently. Like everything was looking awful mm. for him. No, he was. He, he had badly. been awful. We were, we were talking about it. frustrated yeah, with him. So it's nice to see he scored. And after he scored, in fact, he was playing a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in the goal, he darted down the, the flank almost from his own half really well. Coppola just absolutely done for pace. Um, he cut his, he, he showboated a little bit, dropped his shoulder here and there, mm-hmm. cut inside and went to the near post, um, bottom corner. It was a fantastic goal. Um, a few moments later, then Kwame was brought down by Coppola inside the box and Fiorentina were subsequently awarded a penalty. Coppola had a bit of a mare in this in, in this match. He got booked for the foul over there. Biragi stepped up as I've been shouting for him to step up to take penalties because of my Fanta culture. Steps up, misses. <laughs> misses. Great save by Montepo. Quite a central penalty, yeah. but just the fact that he tracked it got down well. Um, uh, aha, great save by Montepo. Um, Montepo then had a fantastic save later on after he extended on a Martinez Quarta header from, from a corner. Really firm, one-armed save, bro. Um, uh, you see a lot of those cases where they'd parry the ball out wide or the, or the ball would go back into play. He spanks it like, spanks <laughs> it like, good luck getting to it. Um, he then had an acrobatic one-armed save um, on Bonaventura's long-range strike as well. So... Montepo showcasing a little bit of his strong forearm here. Um, 90th minute and then Duncan with a Pirlo-esque ball to Mandragora who squared it to Nico Gonzalez who converted at the near post. A fan favourite Nico Gonzalez and it's good to see him back and, and getting goals and assists even when he's back. We saw when he featured last time the season, bagged a couple of assists yeah. as well. They're going to need him. His impact is massive. It is, man. Um, it is so interesting to see. He's just come back and he scored already in the 90th minute. He exactly. came on in the, in the 66th, so <clears throat> just over 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah, he, got, he got a few minutes, which is good. Last time he came on, was the, he's been coming on the 85th and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's good to see him get a couple of minutes. Um, as the scoreline shows and, and as Verona are as a team, um, they don't make it easy. They didn't make it easy, in fact, for Fiorentina either um, in fact they had more ball possession than Fiorentina they had eight attempts of themselves okay Fiorentina had 15 attempts and nine of them on target so Montepo was a very very busy man 
Verona don't look like a team that are going to get relegated, but they are incapable of getting points. They really haven't been stacking up on those points, man. So unless we could see them get that end product and and, and start scoring goals and getting points, then unfortunately they're going to remain in that relegation battle. Um, Mm. It clearly shows to me, the main talking point in this Verona side is, it clearly shows that they've invested everywhere, and I mean everywhere, except for their defence. Yes, it's true. It's so incredibly obvious. Like, Coppola was was horse shit. Um, Gunther's has never been... Amazing, has he? He's he's got mistakes. In well, him. Gunther's your average, your yeah. average defender. Yeah, at the end, at the end of the him and Davidovich, like are, yeah. are two in, incredibly average defenders, man. Um, but Fiorentina finally um, getting a bit of a clean result over here, two 0 win over Verona. So win over Verona at the moment is more of an expectation, but it's a good opportunity for them to get the three points right off it. Um, Now they go to international break, they recoup, revitalize, get back in and hopefully pick up where they left off. Yes. Um, I I think Fiorentina needed a victory like this. It had been a while. Yeah. Like they've come off three games without winning. So they played against Bologna and lost. Mm. They played against Juve and drew. They played against Udinese and lost. They played against not Napoli and lost before that. They played against Napoli and drew before that. So yeah. they drew to Napoli too. Um, so they hadn't won a game in a while. No, the draw, draw, loss, draw, yeah. loss, win. <laughs> so they very Terrible. much needed this. It's interesting to see, of course, Kwame as an option in the striker position. I think we'll be seeing him more often than not over there. To be honest, considering the form of Jovic and Cabral. Um, Jovic mm. was injured, by the way, right? He must have been. Um, yeah, yeah, but not, not severely injured. He yeah. has a knock, okay. which, which kept him out of the game. Kwame is a very mobile striker. Um, he provides something that Cabral and Jovic do not, um, mm. and that is pace and agility. So it would be interesting to see them work around him. Um, Verona, on the other hand, bro, um, they've... Slowly, slowly, man, their management is just letting go of so many players. Their best players are just leaving season after season. I don't know if this is sustainable and I don't know how long this can go for. Last year, many people um, said that they would get relegated. We instantly said that they're not going to get relegated. They're too good to get relegated. But um, this season is a bit different. Huh? They, they've lost a lot. They've lost a lot. I don't think that they'll get relegated, but I think at this rate, in three years, they might. Three, five years' time, they might actually go down. If they keep investing this poorly, they're fucked. You look at their starting 11 in this in this match. I mean, you look at that in comparison to the one they lined up with first match of last year or the one before that. Significant changes in the team. You know, losing Caprari, losing Giovanni Simeone, losing Barak, losing um, uh, Di Marco, for example, as well. Um They've lost everyone and they haven't really and who they bring in, you know, Henri. Yeah. Sure. I sure. Mean, that, that, that's fine. That's their only okay purchase, in my opinion. Like, sure, you know, it's yeah. okay. There was Zakani as well before they had Zakani as well. This is, they had a team that could fight for Europe. And now suddenly, mm. that starting 11 is a relegation battling team. Will they get relegated? Probably not. Because they, there is an element of continuity. These players, Illich, Lazovic, Tamez, De Pauli, Gunter, Lasagna, they know each other. Yeah. And, and they have quality. And they know them. the league. 
Yeah, and Montepo is a fantastic goalkeeper as well. Um, I think they'll be safe, they'll be fine, but they really need to start getting points and they might need to beat some teams that are better than them yes. along the way. <laughs> totally. Um, but I think that's it, unless you have any additional points on these on these teams. I mean, we've pretty much covered Verona. Um, I think for Fiorentina, it's about them riding off the momentum now um, and seeing how they're going to react to more midweek action because that mm-hmm. was the, the weirdest thing was seeing them try to play um, with certain players in certain positions and changing things up and their squad is very versatile when it comes to wingers yeah. but when it comes to midfielders and defenders maybe they not as nothing. much yeah not as much as I'd like um, especially in the defensive area they're things currently sorry sorry things aren't looking for very good for them either in the Europa League they're currently lost in their group and um, their group consists of the, the conference league you mean yeah 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 sorry um, RFS Hearts and Istanbul Basakir yeah yeah they're, they're the team that just fucking spanked yeah. them 3-0 I, I don't think I don't think it's a priority for Fiorentina. I think I think they're just like let's let's get out of the Conference League and let's focus on focus on the league. Eh? But if they get Conference League again, in my opinion, that's a successful season for them. Kind of <laughs> the teams around them, so they might as well put their eggs in the in the Conference League basket. Over they're, here. they're like now let's aim for eighth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, fuck. <laughs> fuck the conference league guys let's get eight. <laughs> we want to be where Atalanta were last year oh my God. that's our goal um, they're in 10th right now so they're not far off they're on 9 points um, Verona on 17th on 5 points 1 point away from relegation the next game was Torino nil, Sassuolo 1 um, Torino's loss means that they have now lost 4 of their 19 Serie A matches against Sassuolo the last one before this coming in 2020 um, the Granata have collected seven draws and eight wins in this period. Torino had scored in each of their last 11 games before this one, bro. So this was a bit of a combo breaker for them. <laughs> now, lineups. Torino lined up with Vanya Milinkovic Savage in goal, the Titan himself. Mm-hmm. Buongiorno, Shures, and Gigi at the back. Lazaro on the left, Singo on the right. Linetti and Lukic as a double pivot. Vlasic as the Trequartista and Radonjic and Sek as the striking partnership. Consigli in goal for Sassuolo, Tolian on the right, Rogerio on the left, Ferrari and Aihan as the centre-back pairing, Harui, Lopez and Fratesi in the middle of the park. Um, 18-year-old call-up from the Primavera, D'Andrea on the right, Lorente on the left and Pinamonti as the striker. Now, it's good to see them fielding someone from the Primavera team. Huh? Um, yeah, I don't is. feel like we see it enough in Italy. We see it a lot um, with clubs like Juve bringing through Miretti, Rovella, so on and so forth. Uncharacteristically for Juve. Uncharacteristically <laughs> for Juve. Um, we see it a lot in the Premier League. We saw Arsenal field a fucking 15-year-old That's last week and got 30 crazy. minutes of game time. Like So more of that than, well, maybe not 15-year-olds, but... More Primavera players in Serie A, please. I think Serie A should one-up them and bring on a seven-year-old next game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in, I'm in. Let's do it. Um, in the first half, Lazaro scored a rebound um, after Vlasic struck the bar. He was celebrating, but it turns out after a VAR review that he was in an offside position. Vlasic, sorry, had been in an offside position. Roasted. 
Um, the game was pretty much a stalemate with Torino kind of controlling things. Um, in the 92nd minute, actually, let's let's say it from the second he came on. Um, in the 86th minute, Alvarez came on for Pinamonti, and he looked so hungry, bro. Mm. He instantly took a shot from outside the area. Quite a decent shot after quite some nice movement. Um, he skied his attempt. It was very close. Quite a decent attempt for his first mm-hmm. one. And then in the 92nd minute, Rogerio crossed the ball to him and he scored with a header. Ran to the Torino fans and pointed a heart at them as Ferrari told him off. Um, he celebrated basically in front of the wrong fans. You don't really blame him for doing so because Sassuolo do not have many fans. <laughs> he spotted three fans next to each other. Exactly. It's like, there they are, our curva. There they are. I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a funny clip. You can see it on our TikTok. I'd say a spotlight. I'd say a spotlight. But yeah, um, Sassuolo showing maturity, bro. Um, Dionisi said that he wanted to concede less goals and here we are. Um, Sassuolo did not concede against a team that had scored against them in the previous 11 games. So that's a big success for them. Uh, they won ugly. They struggled. They suffered together and they won. What do you make of this game, bro? Um, it was nice seeing Alvarez coming on and, and getting a goal. It's just a, a reminder to Penamonte that he is going to need to work hard if mm. he is going to keep his place up front. Um to be quite frank it, it must be up for grabs at this point uh, yeah. Dionisi isn't getting what exactly what he wants out of Pinamonti um, and I think Alvarez performing is, is something that could potentially change that um, they're both starting from ground zero exactly the point you, you mentioned exactly you're making. Um, Pinamonti got one goal was a bit of a, a gift for him to be honest Alvarez's yeah. goal a bit more impressive I particularly like Alvarez because of his Uruguayan industry um, he's 21 years old um, Uruguayan players tend to have this fire in them this fire mm. exactly this aggression the, the Cavani's the Suarez exactly. the Diego Forlans and Alvarez did demonstrate a bit of the spirit while playing at yeah. this game agreed agreed I'd like to also highlight uh, Gigi's golden chance at the near post <laughs> in the first <laughs> half. He shanked it and uh, the commentator said that that's what a defender does with a volley. <laughs> Not nice wrong. Not wrong at all. Sassuolo's first win in five games means that they are now 11th in the table with nine points as Torino are ninth with 10 points. And the next game we're going to be covering is... Bologna nil Empoli won. This was Motta's first game in charge of Bologna um, and has in fact ended in defeat. Bologna were coming off their first victory of the season against Fiorentina, while Sempoli were coming off a 2-1 home loss against Roma. So a much changed Bologna side in Motta's first game in charge. So looking at this, they started with a four at the back and played 4-2-3-1. Um, Skorupski in goal with Cambiasso, Lukumi, Posh and Silvestri, Di Silvestri um, as the back four. Shouten and Medel in the double pivot. Good to see Gary Gary playing um, in his natural position over there. Barrow out wide and Orsolini out wide with Soriano in the attacking midfield role and Arnautovic up front. For Empoli, it was a 4-3-1-2 formation. Vicario between the sticks, who was just called up for Italy, and rightly so. Um, Stojanovic is Maile Luperto and Parisi making the back line with Haas, Marin and Bandinelli in midfield by Rami attacking mid with Satriano and Lammers. 
up front. So this may have been just a 1-0 victory for Empoli. It was, however, one of the most exciting encounters that we had this match day, which is saying a lot because we had many good encounters. So it was Skorupski versus Vicario on this. Whichever goalkeeper was better, their team would come out with the victory. Um, Skorupski started off superbly. Um, he had a fine save to deny Lammers' header, which was heading into the top corner. Um, acrobatic stuff by Skorupski. There was then a terrible back pass by Cambiasso, played way too short to Skorupski. It put Satriano clean through on goal and Skorupski denied him. Shortly after, this time it was Posh's turn to play the ball back to Skorupski way too soft. And this time Lammers was clean through on goal and again Skorupski denied him. Brilliant stuff by the goalkeeper over there. Shortly after then, it was Vicario's turn to turn things up and he had a fantastic save on Orsolini after some great work by Medel. Um, and then shortly after, Cambiasso's cross was handled in the box by one of the Empoli players. Um, however, Avarcek deemed the, deemed the incident to be in an offside position, so the penalty wasn't essentially given. Vicario then had another brilliant save to deny Orsolini. He got down well to stop a low, hard and accurate strike. It was absolutely unbelievable. In the second half, and then Henderson's square pass caused Skorupski to parry the ball away to the path of Bandinelli, who finished into an empty net. I found it hilarious that on um, who scored, it showed that this was an error by Skorupski leading to a goal. Absolutely not. It was a rebound. You but, know what I mean? But the the low ball played in at the near post could have been handled a little bit more promptly by Skorupski, to be fair. I don't think so. I think so. that's why they, they marked it as an error. Because, uh, as in he parried the ball out and it only went it's as harsh far as... To call it, to call it's it's it harsh error. as fuck. Uh, it's harsh as fuck. That right. is in no, no way would I ever see that and go, ah... The goalkeeper it, fucked up and they conceded. It was soft goalkeeping, in my opinion. Uh, to, it's, it's a shame because he had a really good game other than that. But um, this moment, I think he reacted a little bit late to the Lammers ball coming in. I think what you're trying to do here is keep up the anti-Skorupski agenda <laughs> because I said he's the second best goalkeeper in the league. Because what he does is deny a goal and the ball goes into the striker's path and he finishes into an empty net. There wasn't soft goalkeeping, there was soft defending. He came out and made a stop, otherwise the ball would have gone into the back of the net. He parries it, goes into the striker's path and he taps into the empty net. But it's, it's by My no brother, means Skorupski's error. you're trying to do... <laughs> is overly defend a guy that you overrated in your rankings, my friend. Wrong. That's, that's what it is. Wrong. Wrong. Maybe, I mean. Wrong, no wrong. way would you ever look at no. that if it was another goalkeeper and say that was a goalkeeping error. I mean, he who stops, he, it is? <laughs> it's, it's a rebound. He saves the ball, it goes to someone else, and they finish it. He made a good save. I'm sure it was his near post. I feel like I should have been more assertive. And at the end of the day, he goes down. He parries the ball. He collided uh, with, a defend uh, with, with their striker. Ta. He clattered with their striker. I don't know what else he could have done. Ca mm. Grabbed it like when he's getting clattered inside <laughs> of. He had, he had the striker and the bro, defender. Body on the ball, you know? Def oh, come on, bro. It was a shot. Like, he stopped it. Sure, sure, sure. No, right, let's anyways, Yep. That's it. So Empoli made it 1-0 over there. Um, shortly after, Arnautovic hit the post with a header at the far post with Vicario 
absolutely scrambling back. Um, and moments after, Xerxy hit the crossbar um, after a corner. He was totally by himself and pundits were saying how he should have scored, but he would have seen it late um, and didn't manage to react in time. So, victory for Empoli, Motta's first match in charge ends in defeat. I'm starting to think that Bologna should just operate with a caretaker manager. <laughs> yes, they certainly do better with a caretaker manager. But this was an interesting brand of football that Motta played. That they, they had a lot of possession, very possession-based. Yeah. And they were quite unlucky, I think, to go home with nothing. Go home. They were, they were home. brother. Vicario He was amazing Is the reason they were And that now. unorthodox save At the end on Arnautovic Was so <sighs> weird Bro So good like he, he is a top 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 goalkeeper Vicario um, When he's on he's on He, he also has the odd error in mm-hmm. him um, I compare him and Montepo a lot okay. I never know who the better one is Because Montepo will have a brilliant game Then Vicario has a brilliant game And then vice versa And then vice versa Um Bologna really, really did do their best, but I genuinely believe that Vicario is the reason that Empoli got away with something and a bit a bit of um, unluckiness for yeah. Bologna hitting the post twice and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, Empoli also had their chances and Skorupski denied them. That, that is one area where Bologna were really struggling, bro, is when they looked to build the ball from the back, they turned around and tried to play it back to Skorupski. On multiple occasions, they did that. And two out of all those times, they played short balls and mm-hmm. their striker ended up being clean through on goal against Skorupski. For Amotta side, though, I'm sure that will be brushed up, No. Yeah, most most probably. Um, look, Mata has an interesting brand of football. You know, he, he actually did, did quite well at Spezia. Granted, I, I think he's a little bit pretentious. I think his ideas are bombastic. But at the end of the way, the day on the on the pitch, he he does show some very positive football, and he, it has proven mm-hmm. to work. Mm-hmm. I think all he needs is time for Bologna and time will show that he is probably the right man for the job. This Bologna team is dying for some identity, man. Yeah, hey, man. Yes, dying yes. for some they identity. They have the personnel. Exactly. So I think it, it'll, it'll give them that. Um, on the other hand, Empoli did a super job to get away with three points in a situation where probably they shouldn't have gotten away with the full three points. And this is their first win. Yes. Of the season. Yes, they had many draws. Many, exactly. Many draw. draw, 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 loss, loss win. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's good to see them getting their first three points and hopefully they can they can monetize that and, and ride off the momentum. But yeah, that's that for this game. There's not much that we need to see what um Motta can do with Bologna. Whilst Empoli, obviously, all thumbs up to them for getting their first victory. Empoli are in 14th. On seven points, whereas Bologna are in 16th on six points. Salernitana won Lecce 2. This was some Friday night madness. And it was also the first meeting in Serie A between Salernitana and Lecce. Go boys. In total, there were 16 games uh, in Serie A between these two teams. Uh, Lecce leading by seven wins to four and five draws, of course. Now... Sepe and goal for Salernitana's day line up with their 3-5-2. Gyomberg, Danilovic and Bron at the back. Matsoki on the left, Kandreva on the right. Vilhena, Maggiore and Koulibaly 
in the middle. Piontek and Dia were the striking partnership for Salernitano. Uh, Lecce lined up with a 4-3-3 with Falcone and Golu John Dre on the right, um, Pezzella on the left, Baschirotto and Pongracic at the back, <laughs> Gonzalez, Humeland and Askilson in the middle, Di Francesco on the right, Banda on the left and Cisse up front. He has a bit of a struggle over there. Can you tell me again, please? Um, Pongracic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this was a, f- a really good game of football that got going in the first half in the 43rd minute. Uh, there was a quick counter by Lecce that saw Hulmund playing a great ball to Cisse on the counter. Um, Cisse is in a lot of space, but he still has a defender on him and a lot to do. He outpaces his man, he shields him off, he gets round the goalkeeper and he casually slides it in. What a goal! What a goal, what a goal. Banger. Amazing player. Like he's um, he's going to do very good things with, with yeah. Lecture, I think. This almost made our goal of the week, which makes me realize yeah. we didn't talk about our goal of the week. Oh my God, we didn't at all. But we plugged in the it. intro. Oh my God. Um, our goal of the week was Sabiri. <laughs> <laughs> he scored an amazing goal, but we'll get to that, of yeah, course. That's the, the next game. game. The next game. Um, the next goal, the equalizer, was actually an extremely bizarre goal. Um, there was a corner and Juan Gonzalez went to kick the ball away and ended up shanking it, miskicking it into his own net. Uh, terrible for him, can't help but feel bad. And it was in the 83rd minute that Antonino Gallo played the ball to Gabriel Strefezza outside the area. Strefezza with his trademark curler scores a banger takes off his t-shirt but he's wearing a bra you know i mean <laughs> i've been seeing this more and more recently it's not that cool now when, bras you, everywhere. when you take off your shirt when you score a goal and you're wearing a bra that's not very cool man like peak taking off your shirt in celebration is ryan Giggs against arsenal for united takes his shirt off and there's a forest of hair <laughs> on his chest so that's what we know. want to see as consumers yeah. You know what I mean? We don't want to see sports bras, you know? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Salernitana were very wasteful. Um, Lecce fought hard. Uh, I feel like they were quite fortunate to get the three points at the end. But, you know, um, they're just reaping their the results of their hard work, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, Salernitana have some fucking good service brought wide with Kandreva and Matsuki over there. Um, Piontek and Dia can definitely feast with these guys. Um, Dia went off injured this game, but um, I feel like they can have they can get those numbers up with the service that they have around them. Even Maggiore had some good moments with them and playing them through at, at, on separate occasions. Yeah, it's a totally different side than the one you see last year. Um, if you compare them to the, the, the Salernitana of Towards the end of last year, obviously, see some similarities because of the Davide Nicola influence, but they have many more tools to their arsenal now that they can utilize. Um, so they don't have to make due from the scraps that they were left with from last season. They've invested a little bit in players like Piontek and Kandreva and Dia. So hopefully they can, well, most hopefully they can. They, they do look a much better side now. Lecture, um, we're very organized. Um... With the brand of football as well, uh, with Marco Baroni over here, uh, his first victory for Lecce in Serie A, right? Yeah, their first victory this yeah. season. 
Um, and it was a massive one for them. Uh, away to Salernitana is definitely not an easy game to play right now, but they, they did very well to hang in there and to get three points. Agreed. Agreed. So they are... Letria are 15th in the table with six points, while Salernitana are 13th with seven points. Precisely. So the next and final game we're going to be covering is Spezia 2, Sampdoria 1. Another upset over here, maybe not one of the two shocking ones, though. Um, Spezia are coming off a 1-0 loss to Napoli, while Sampdoria are coming off a 2-1 home loss to Milan. So Spezia lined up with a 3-5-2 formation with Dragovski in goal, Nikolaou, Kiwior and Ampadu in the back line. Reka and home out wide with Kovalenko, Burabi and Bastoni in the midfield and Zola and Giasi up front. Audero on goal for Sampdoria with Berezinski, Ferrari, Jason Murillo and Augello at the back. Villar in the holding midfield role with Rincon and Sabiri up ahead of him. Leris and Juricic out wide with Caputo up front. So it was in the 11th minute that Sabiri scored what was potentially the, well, definitely the goal of the week and potentially even the goal of the season thus far. Mm. It was a very, very incredibly long-ranged dipping strike from miles out. The dip was unbelievable. The ball went so high and then dipped at the perfect moment over Dragovski. Nothing he can do about it. If you haven't seen this goal, guys, look it up because it is fantastic. Um, and then for Spezia, Holmes' dangerous ball, um, dangerous square ball, rather, sorry, was deflected off of Ferrari and then off of Murillo and into the back of their own net for uh, Jason Murillo own goal. It was ping pong stuff in, in their own box, really unorganized defending there by Sampdoria. Um, subsequently, Spezia get the goal over there. Um, Audero had a brilliant save on Ampadu. Um, he got into position well, in, into his position well and extended his legs super well. Um, Sabiri then was super close to scoring from distance again with a low place drive from distance, like close him down at that point. He just did that from like 30, 35 yards out. And you're still giving him space to have these attempts from outside the area. So a little bit concerning defending there by, by Spezia. Um, it was then in Zola that scored thanks to a home assist. So home crossed the ball. Um, with a low cross to Inzola, who half volleyed past Audero. Dragovski then had a double save on Gabbiadini and Sabiri, but to be honest, both of them were quite central at him. Um, and Dragovski then had a fantastic save to deny Qualiarella in a one-to-one -one scenario where he came out well and made himself big. It was a good display for goalkeepers this week, as Dragovski also had a, a very good performance here. Seven saves, Dragovski. Massive there you go. performance. Massive performance. Keeping them in it. Um, Spezia, man, uh, these guys have been playing together for like three seasons, four seasons. Now the same faces, you know, Simone and Zaghi, Drazi and Zola. These guys are at the spine. Um, Simone and Zaghi. Um, sorry, <laughs> Simone Bastone. <laughs> yeah, Simone and Zaghi uh, might as well come and coach this team, though. <laughs> um, Luca Gotti is a good manager and he man he, he's given them like a new lease of... Um, of life almost. They're gathering a lot of points early on, these guys, man, Spezia this season. They're having a good start, man. They are currently on, I don't want to spoil it because I'll tell you guys yeah. later, but they're on They're on eight points out of seven matches, which yeah, isn't bad, Yeah, that's decent man. for them. That's mm -hmm. very good. They're for doing... a team, every season, every season, they are contenders for relegation. Yes. 
Are they ever really like though? That's true. That's true, man. They've become experts of survival and experts of winning against all odds. And even here, man, Sampdoria had more shots, you know. Yeah, but they've never even gotten close to relegation. Like in the final days of last se- of of last season, um, they were safe. They were safe. It's true. the season before that. They, they were safe. Milan, remember? And they. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. No, they they. Will Jim get relegated now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they will, man. Straight up. I had them in my original. I don't know. I, it's it's so too. confusing because it might be Sampdoria, man, unless they go for that January like pacey winger or pacey striker. They just need someone to connect that midfield to the attack. They need someone with a bit yeah. of fucking mobility in him. I have a point here. Mm-hmm. They had Sensi last year. That was yeah. that was brilliant. He's a, he's a brilliant solution. Um and um, Kandreva as well. Yes. But Sampdoria, bro, are basically relegated unless they sack Gianpaolo tomorrow. <laughs> they have the international break coming up. That's a two-week period where they don't have too many players out on international duty. They could have two weeks under new management, get to know the team. I know two weeks still isn't ideal when the season is, has already commenced, but it's better than just throwing them into the fray. Okay, and you've got a game in five days. He's got two weeks, he could train with the team a little bit, he could get to know them. Maybe now is a good opportunity to do so. I don't think they'll sack him. I think the, the company believes in him. He's a guy who did very well with them in the past as well. Um, I think he'll remain until it gets really ugly and then they'll sack him. <laughs> it's going to get uglier than this, so... I think so. It's still early on. But it can totally get way worse. Especially if the teams around them keep picking up points. We saw many first wins this weekend. Mm-hmm. You know? But well, yeah. I haven't seen one for Sampdoria yet. On two draws only. <laughs> True. Two draws, five losses. Man. Gianpaolo at the hand. <laughs> In Zola, bro, by the way, last season had two goals scored. The season here, they has three. There you go. Nice. In Zola. Good start for him. You take him on Fanta again? Definitely not. <laughs> After what happened the first time. Yeah. I took him and he stopped scoring, right? Exactly. No, no, no. We, faith is in our hands always. Faith is like Milan lost to Napoli because I was wearing a Milan kit while watching it. You know this. Yeah. You know this. Um, Spezia in 12th on eight points, while Sampdoria are dead last with two points. Guys, you have no idea the technical difficulties we've had in this episode. It's, it's been very frustrating. So sorry if the energy has dipped. Yeah, I, I for one, I'm livid. <laughs> Imagine, but, guys, we'd be recording and uh, suddenly the the waveform things start fucking up. And Matthias goes, up, oh, it's fucking up, it's fucking up. We listen back. And we're talking like this. It just speeds up like this. <laughs> Hope, hopefully it doesn't do that random moment. Hey, man. Hey. Oh, good. But fuck it. L- let us... Know if you've noticed any difference in sound quality or whatever. Remember to give us a nice little cheeky follow on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Rate us wherever you're listening. Um, Two-week international break now, but we'll make sure we give you some form of content to consume. You content-hungry dogs. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But that's pretty much from our end. Um, I know two weeks without culture is a terrible thing, but do try to be productive. Go see the outside world, uh, walk barefoot places and enjoy nature and shit. Do mushrooms. Um, Anything from you, Jake? 
Nothing, man. Enjoy the international football. Enjoy the break from Syria. Okay, and we'll see you shortly. We'll see you shortly, guys. Ciao, ciao.